0: Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 134 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, and PR consultant, and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, just quickly, before we jump into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. Now this is a 12 month online program where you have video training that teaches you everything you need to know about how to do your own PR. You can ask questions on the platform and you can also post your proposed pitches and media releases before sending them to journalists to get my feedback. You also get to jump on a monthly live group call where you can ask whatever questions you want about your business and you can get tailored help from me on anything to do with raising the profile of your brand. So it might be that I look at your website and give you some feedback or how to improve your LinkedIn profile and other marketing and PR topics. So if you'd like to find out more about that, just hop on over to veganbusinessmedia.com and you'll see a link there for vegans in the limelight. And now on to the main part of the show. In this episode, I interview Rimi Dabia, founder of vegan snack company Love Raw in Cheshire in the north of England. Rimi left behind her career in investment banking and founded Love Raw, which makes vegan, organic, natural chocolate snacks, in 2013 from her in-law's home kitchen in Manchester with a budget of just £600. In February 2018, she appeared on Dragon's Den, the UK equivalent of Shark Tank. Despite receiving an offer of investment from renowned dragon Deborah Meaden, Remy turned the deal down and launched a new category of vegan buttercup chocolate snacks. Since walking away from the Dragon's deal offer, Love Raw's average monthly sales have grown by over 200% with a year-on-year growth rate of 98%. Products are sold in major supermarkets and coffee shops across the UK and are exported to more than 20 countries. And Rimi has achieved all this with two young children aged four and nine months. In this interview, Rimi discusses how she scaled up the business from a home kitchen, how and when she got into large retailers such as Whole Foods, Sainsbury's and Waitrose, Why she went on Dragon's Den and behind-the-scenes details of what the experience was like. Why she turned down a deal from her favourite dragon, Deborah Meaden. The impact Brexit is already having on her business. The challenges of juggling being a mum and running a business, and how she's managed to come up with a solution in the face of no work-life balance, and much more. Here's the interview with Rimi Dabia
1: from Love Roar.
0: Hello Rimi, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hi Katrina, thank you for having me.
0: Oh it's a pleasure and it's nice to speak to a fellow Brit so I'm probably going to sound even more British than I usually do because whenever I'm around mm-hmm. Brits I tend to go back to my my usual kind of my old accent. Sometimes when I'm around Americans or Australians I, apparently I pick up tiny little lilts of the accent but it's going to be full-on British um, here. So um, <laughs> it's great to, to connect with you. So um, you and I had already kind of connected by email a, a little while ago and I wrote an article for you for, for, about you for Forbes um, and now you've got some even more exciting developments. So I'm looking forward to, to digging into that today. Um, but let's um, start out with a question I always kick off with everyone and that is the why. So what's the why behind running Love Raw? Because I know that you you started out actually working in the corporate world in hedge funds so mm. tell us a bit about how and why uh, you made that shift
1: so the the, the why um it was it is it remains the same today we we want to introduce a product that is honest and transparent and it was never um a kind of mindful shift from the corporate world to Love Raw, it, it was a process. So um, I moved country uh, because I got married and I met my husband and he lived in Spain. So I left London because he was self-employed in Spain. And, you know, I, I it was, it was kind of the, the natural kind of choice for me to make. Um, and he couldn't leave his business. So I, I joined him in Spain. And then Unfortunately, I went through a bereavement, my dad passed away. Um, and I was going to and from the UK to Spain. And um, I, I just really was grieving. And it, as, as odd as it sounds, when I kind of looked at what I was eating, and you know, I used to go to farmers markets, eating well made me feel better. Made me feel better physically and it made me feel better mentally, and it it just kind of started from there. That's where the journey started. So it's kind of like a negative turned into a positive. And then when I started looking into products, they weren't as healthy or you know as they said that they were, and they, they weren't what they said that they were. So I just felt that sometimes the food industry cheats us, and I just wanted to bring a product to the market that was honest and transparent. And that why that was there from the first day is still the why of why we do what we do today.
0: I love that. And I love what you said about turning the negative into a positive. I think that's fantastic. And I always love hearing people's why and what the purpose is, because they're all, uh, even though there might be some similarities, they're all actually really quite, quite different and everyone's got their, their own story. So I love that. Um, very briefly then, just tell us about the name of the company, Love Raw, because I must admit, when I first saw, saw the net or I first heard about your company, I immediately assumed, oh, it's raw, vegan. But, but, it, but I don't think everything's not raw, is it? So tell us a little bit about the, the name of the company.
1: Yeah I mean when we initially started um it was we did the bars the the cold press raw bars and and we were raw and since then the the products that we offer have evolved um we do the drinks and the powders um but raw for us kind of now is more of an attitude so it's more for kind of being natural and it's like stripping everything back so it's not necessarily meaning that our products are raw it's 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 more of kind of a definition and a meaning for the brand
0: got it got it lovely love it now you started the company back in 2013 by investing just 600 pounds of your own money and for um, American listeners, that's probably around about, I think, maybe $800, $900, um, similar for, for Australian, just to give people an idea. So not very much, essentially. Um, now the company, I believe, is valued at around $6 million. So that's a, a, a quite a, a a, a rise, uh, an increase in just a few years. How did you scale up the business? Can you just provide a, a bit of information on some of the actual steps and strategy you took to go from starting out in your kitchen to upscaling and out to um, large mani- uh, to a manufacturing facility?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's six million pounds. Did um, I say so- dollars? yeah dollars oh, I worry. did. Oh, I'm so
0: sorry, oh gosh, okay, it's I'm glad you corrected me, so it's six million dollars, which is even yeah. better uh, six million pounds, which is even better in dollars because it sounds better in in um, in dollars actually, doesn't it because that's probably yeah. around about a million dollars um,
1: yeah. you when you did the article the last time it was one point seven five yeah, so a lot has happened in you know the last you know year and a half. um but you know it's funny you say strategy because, we, when I initially started making the product, there was no strategy. It was just, I want to get a healthy product out to market. I really like making these bars, and I, I didn't have anything to do in the sense that I'd left my career in banking. I'd just moved to a a, a foreign country and um, what do I do? So, you know, I I love doing that and I wanted to kind of fill my time making these bars and and bringing them to consumers. So that's the strategy and it was very simple. And then after that, admittedly, it was a lifestyle business because I tried to set up the business in Spain. There was too much red tape. So my husband said, why don't you set up um, in the UK? So I, I'd made a very bold decision to leave my husband in Spain, moving with his parents in Manchester and just make the bars from the kitchen there and then um, kind of just see where it, it goes and, and then I eventually moved back to Spain, and it was a lifestyle business because the business was just ticking over. I didn't think about scaling or growing the team, I was just servicing the retailers who um, I was with then, which was kind of Whole Foods and independent health stores and you know, cafes that had like maybe a few um, uh, stores and uh, chains. And um, it, it wasn't, I guess, until we moved back to the UK, which was in 2015. I was pregnant with my daughter and I thought this is not sustainable. I can't keep moving back from the UK to Spain. And either we continue this as a lifestyle business or we take this seriously and we, and we grow the business. And, and, and that's where kind of the turning point was. So we moved back to the UK and I had to leave um, the employee that I had with me in Spain, um, in Spain, she, she couldn't come cause she was South African and she couldn't because of her visa. And then we came back and we had to start all over again, looking for, um, offices, uh, looking for staff. And, um, it was hard. And then I had complications in my pregnancy. And then that's when my husband joined the business because I was told I couldn't work. Um, so the strategy there, then at that point, was to just function and just to get by. So it was just to keep kind of fulfilling the orders for our existing retailers and get them out. We, we did push beyond that point, had the baby. And then um, I thought, you know, we, we need to, rebrand and we need to have more of an offering so so then we we already had the bars and the powders and then I started working on the drinks and new product development and and then the strategy became clear that we wanted to have a few categories of products and um offer these to the consumer but the common theme being that they were honest and um transparent in what we offer um which is the why as to do uh why what we do um but clean ingredients and i you know i know there was a big backlash um about saying the word clean ingredients but we we do use ingredients which are better for you in in comparison to um ingredients that uh competitors use and other products on the market so so since then um our strategy has been to Grow the business, and you know we we work very long hours to do that. We've grown the team from just three of us to now about six of us, um, and we we want to scale in terms of our retailers and. Um, We are organically scaling because of the demand for our products as well. Uh, So, for example, um, we launched our buttercups last September and we started off making 15,000 and at the moment we're making 200,000. Wow, that's a big jump, isn't it? What are the buttercups? Are they a bar? Oh, sorry, I didn't even explain. The (laughs) buttercups are a, um, you know what, I sent you some. Did you receive them? Oh, I think because I might have done actually. Did I? They're the chocolate. They're like, it's got a chocolate shell um, and with a nut butter filling.
0: I don't think you did. I don't think they were in that section. I probably would have remembered. I think no, I'm well, I'll, sure.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll send them you again. <laughs> um, is, sometimes things don't reach when we send them. Oh, no,
0: I got um, the whole package and I, I ate, I, I had a variety. I think there was a chocolate and there was a mint and there was a plain kind of chocolate, I think, but they were lovely yeah. and I, I did like them. But that's a big scale up. Um, so I'm just curious, because I think this is really interesting for people, particularly those people who are running, like you say, a lifestyle business to then go, okay, we are going to scale and to scale that amount. I mean, I guess one of the questions that comes to mind is how, and especially your husband leaving his job and joining your business, like you both went obviously really all in. Um, so I'm just curious, I mean, how did you fund that part of it, that scale up?
1: Oh gosh, um, it, it's it's been a huge sacrifice. He, he, he left what he was um, doing. He was in kind of textile distribution. He didn't really enjoy it, to be honest. Um, and he joined the business and he's kind of stayed with us um, ever since. But, um, you know, we moved back to the UK and we, 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 Pay ourselves very little because whatever we make from the business kind of goes back in, and um you know it's 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 been a, a struggle you know we've had times where cash flow we haven't we're living kind of month to month we haven't had enough cash to even kind of pay the staff um you know we we've had to delay making payments to um certain suppliers. Um, because we're waiting for cash to kind of hit our account because with some retailers, you have to wait 90 days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was, there was one time actually we, we family holidays are very rare because we are day in and day out in business. But the one time we did go on holiday, I always remember it was 2017 and I, was so stressed out because we had a certain rate of sale. We had to hit with a retailer and we weren't hitting them. I think it was with the drinks. Um, and I couldn't fly back because I had a a really bad migraine and it was so bad that I just had to kind of sit in a dark room and had to cancel our flights. And I just think I don't ever want to be in that place again (laughs) with the stress of the business and, and you know what it can do. So, um, the journey from us kind of from 2015 to now um, has been really hard and and that's evolved in our product offering. But, um, I appreciate you
0: know. your honesty. I think it's important for people to hear that because sometimes when they see, you know, these kind of phoenix stories or they see people at the other end, like, you know, successful and they they just kind of assume it's easy and there's not oh, been too God. many bumps in the road or that you can get there quickly. And, uh, you know, so I do appreciate you being being honest about that. I think that's, um, yeah. I mean, I
1: want be honest, up until the last 12 months, um, it, it's been a real kind of positive Change for us in the business, I think, because of the new category, the Buttercups, which I mentioned earlier. um, It's been phenomenal the launch that we've had since then. The categories we've had before that they were good, but you know, and they and when we had the launch, initial launch, it was great. But you know, with the product life cycle, you know, there there becomes a, a, a time in in that point of the cycle where you know, it is difficult and, you know, other competitors come into the market. It becomes about price. Then you need, you know, cash in the bank in order to market your product and, you know, get it out there. And, you know, if if you're a small business and you don't have that extra cash to push your product, it's going to be difficult. You know, for example, we were one of the first raw press bars on the market and we did really well. But then, you know, in, in year one, year two, other kind of uh, competitors came into the market, other brands, the barriers to entries are low. um, And then it becomes more like a commodity. And as you know now, there's so many kind of raw snack bars there on the market. It's, It's flooded.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's interesting you say that because um, like, for example, I know you mentioned price as well. When you get into places like Sainsbury's and Waitrose and, uh, you know, Tesco, like places like that, which for international listeners, list, uh, listeners those are like big supermarket chains in the UK. Um, so it, it, does that mean then that you have to keep innovating so you can't kind of rest on your laurels or uh, with a, and, and assume yeah. that one particular product is going to just keep on going and bringing in the income
1: and you know I think sometimes people think that getting into um you know a big multi um kind of the the multinational store is a great thing and you know you're you're in and and that's great but it's it's hard to get in but that's kind of the first hurdle and the second hurdle is you have a certain rate of sale that you need to kind of adhere to and then you know it's so many other things like positioning where you are in store um if you're not in you know prime position you're not going to be picked up by the consumer so then mm-hmm. you have to um, rely on consumers coming into store and um, that know your product and then you're fighting with other you know corporates um that have a lot more money for better positioning and better mm-hmm. promos and it becomes into a little bit of a price war because the pricing is so competitive um when it comes to the, the malts. And um, you need money in the bank in order to, um, you know, fund your promotions or get better locations because this will improve your rate of sale. But you need that initial investment. Yeah. You can't just rely on you being in, a, you know, um, a multinational store that you're going to sell.
0: Absolutely. Just a couple of tips. How, just out of interest, how did you get into places like Sains, like the Maltese? How, how did you get into those? Because I know everybody wants it and I hear what you're saying. It can, it, you know, there's pros and cons to it, but just interested how, you know, someone who's initially running a lifestyle business, how did you go from that into getting your products on stores in those places?
1: Honestly, it's just hustle and persistence. So if you find out the correct buyer for the category that you're trying to get into, it was just phone calls, sending emails um, and doing that on a weekly basis until they got back to me. So and then finding out because they have range review windows, so they have a specific time of year. Um, or a few times a year that they take on specific products for that category. And um, it's good to know because then you can kind of put a proposal for that, you know, period. Um, So, so just kind of, you need to get in contact with them to know this range review period. So knowing what the range review window is and just persisting that, that will help you get in I think that's what that's what worked for us
0: yeah and no, a fantastic approximately what percentage of sales come from retail outlets then compared to say your direct online sales
1: um it's 90 to be honest we from don't retail focus, yeah yeah okay. we we, right. we don't focus on online we haven't focused online because we've just we've just been a small team and we haven't had the resources um to focus on online that will probably be something that we will focus on maybe in the next 12 to 18 months um but 90 percent of our sales are retail wow.
0: that's pretty cool and that, that kind of puts your you know your scaling up then and and your your valuation and what have you kind of makes it even better you know like more uh, impressive shall I say um because you know you've you've had to pay distributors and retailers and all the rest of it I imagine so um yeah. no, that's fantastic I know I believe your your products are sold in is it about 15 countries or, or more well across yeah the
1: yeah we, we 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 haven't really focused on export but if somebody's um you know showing us interest we haven't really turned them away okay so,
0: got it so you've waited for them to come to you rather than put an export strategy in place so far.
1: yeah, yeah and um and again you know in the next 12 to 18 months we will have an export um strategy but uh, you know we we sell in countries such as um you know france and spain germany um
0: how do you uh, think that's going to play out with brexit if it goes through oh. <laughs> i know you probably won't be able to answer that question but i thought i would throw it out there it's
1: just such a uh, kind of it's just it's it's So painful to watch and to to read everything with Brexit because it's so long and drawn out. Yeah, and you know honestly, I don't watch the news. (laughs) I I, I, I'm very mindful. I don't really kind of um, watch the news or read kind of the newspapers unless it's kind of you know financial or um, kind of um, you know uh, lifestyle. Uh, because I, I just don't want to take in more information than I need. But with Brexit, I've been, you know, just maybe once a week, just trying to catch up, like seeing what's happening, because there are going to be implications. And we're already experiencing implications of that, you know, certain... Like what? Uh, like suppliers, um, you know, we, we buy, you know, our ingredients... They, the, the prices are fluctuating because we buy ingredients from Europe. So uh-huh. um, the prices are going higher. Um, the availability of products is scarce because everybody's panicking and stockpiling. So uh-huh. um, some they're out of stock. So, you know, we're, we're not getting the ingredients that we need in a timely manner. Um, so and and I guess really truly honestly I don't know what the implications will be until it happens but Gosh. so everyone He's kind of just panicking and um,
0: yeah it's like watching panicking. even from here you know because you know to my my home you know it's my home country my original hometown so even watching it from here it's like what are you doing <laughs> it's like anyway no I appreciate you sharing that let's talk a bit about Dragon's Den and I have to say I really love Dragon's Den I like it I, probably, maybe I shouldn't say it on air but I will anyway I like it better than Shark Tank um, USA and Shark Tank Australia I don't know why there's just something about Dragon's Den maybe it's the dragons I just like them and I really like Deborah Meaden um, but let's talk about um, Dragon's Den first which which is the equivalent of Shark Tank um, for, for international yeah. listeners why did you decide to go on this show um
1: it, it was a funny one um we it, it was all timing at that point we did need investment because um you know we wanted to grow as a business and sometimes you can bootstrap only so far So we thought, okay, we need the investment. And then, you know, it was we thought it would be great marketing as well as a small company getting out there to four million viewers, you know, why not? So so those were our kind of reasons for going on.
0: Got it. Tell us a bit about the process of getting onto the show. And I know, obviously, you, you know, as much as you're legally allowed to share, because I know the reality shows often make you sign non-disclosure agreements, not to share too much behind the scenes, but as much right. as you could comfortably share. Um, yeah. What was the process of getting onto it? What prep did you do and how did it all come about?
1: So they, they have you do a pilot test. Um, so you kind of they give you a set of questions and you go in and they kind of just um, film you in a meeting room. And then, um, you know, if 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 they're happy with the outcome, then they kind of put you forward for the show. And then before that, it was it, you, you do actually a lot of due diligence. Um they they send you um, you know all the questions that you have answered they need to verify that they need to know what you're saying is is real and and back that up so so we had to go through all of the due diligence, due diligence even before the show and um, and then the day that you were there it's a, an early morning and there's about maybe four or five other um, kind of individuals going on the show as well. And they keep you in a green room. So it's building tension anyway. And it's, it's very kind of <laughs> a paced environment. So it's, it's, it, there's a lot of tension and they don't expose you to the dragons, um, you know, prior to airing. Oh,
0: really? So that's yep. the, to recording. Do you mean?
1: Exactly. exactly Oh, wow.
0: So So that literally is the first time you're seeing them. I wondered that. They
1: keep you far away from the dragons. And then the first time you do kind of see the dragon is when you're stepping onto the (laughs) show.
0: Wow. So tell us about the experience then. I mean, from what you can remember, because I know sometimes when you have those kind of experiences, they're so kind of... Surreal, but often you can't necessarily remember um, all that. But just tell us a little bit about the experience of being on the show, and also, I mean, you got an offer, so you turned and you turned it down. You got two offers from Deborah um, and Tuka, and you turned them down. So tell us a bit about just the whole experience of being on the show and why you turned down the offer.
1: I think um, I mean it's 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 very it's a very it was a very scary experience for me. Um, initially kind of, I thought, yeah, I'm going to go on and I'm going to defend my business. And, you know, if they say anything, I will stand up for myself. And so I was very confident kind of going in and to be honest, as soon as I went in there, kind of the nerves hit me and, you know, I was just surviving in the den. I was just <laughs> kind of answering the questions and not kind of saying more than that. Um, you know, which looking over when I kind of watched the show over after, I was like, I should have said this, and <laughs> you know, yeah, should have, could have, would have, um, but didn't think at the time. So it's very different when you're kind of in the den because you know your n- nerves get the best of you, and it is a tense environment. When you walk in, they are all looking; they're not smiling at you, welcoming you. Really? Um... Yeah, you can you can kind of you know feel the tension. They're they're looking at you very sternly i guess in order to build up that tension and make you feel um kind of nervous so um so yeah then they i i i was in there for a good hour i mean that hour was edited into 10 minutes mm. and again like standing on your feet for an hour being questioned is is very um daunting so um it was just kind of one question after the other there were certain dragons that you know, didn't like the product and they were out kind of pretty early on. Um, and they asked me a couple of questions about finances. And to be honest, at that point in time, I had three categories and to, to remember year on year sales for the last four or five years for three product categories, you know, I think I didn't know one and I got caught out. So it was, you know, and then it was like, (laughs) Oh my God, (laughs) you should know your business. And it's like, But I did know, I just can't remember. And at that point, um, I was still breastfeeding my daughter. So she was getting up like two or three times a night. So, coupled with the fact that I was sleep deprived um, and had, you know, I think she was, I think, one and a half at that point, or coming up to two. So, hadn't slept for two years and trying to remember kind of all of these questions. I was just like, ah and uh, yeah (laughs) that's so funny
0: you would never know you know you really wouldn't and listening to this I'm, I'm even more impressed now because you you seem very Uh, cool and confident but it's interesting to get these behind the scenes actually because like you say we just see those final bits and they can edit together whatever they like you know I'm sure they might ask one question and you can see it on the shows like they'll ask a question and then the the person will answer uh, but the reaction is like it's a different reaction to the original question where they put it together yeah so
1: why do you yeah. On the show, saying, "Oh well, you know, I, I haven't had much sleep. I didn't want to give any excuses, yeah, it was just like, okay, I, I don't know it. I'm gonna own that um good and for you do much more than that.
0: so you got the two offers from Deborah and tuca Why did you say no?
1: it was it was too much, um you know, out of all the dragons, I really liked Deborah. I mean, I liked her from watching the show prior to going on, and I really liked her on the day as well. She's just you know she says what she is and very straight up, very honest. She's not as theatrical as the others. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I was offering 5% um, for the investment and she wanted 30 and, you know, that's
0: a big when, jump, isn't it? It's
1: a big jump. And when you I had a flashback in my mind, I, it was all the sacrifices that I've made, you know, the, 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 the pay, um, you know, decrease that I've kind of had to take on and, and the struggles that I've had the last, you know, say three to four years of the business. And I thought, am I willing to kind of give away 30% of, of the business? And it was just, no, it was a no-brainer. I was like, no, can't do it. It doesn't feel right. It didn't feel right intuitively. I do kind of act on intuition quite a lot. If something doesn't feel right, I don't do it. So and no, it regrets. didn't no not at all not at all and to be honest they should be having kind of FOMO now because of what the valuation <laughs> is now and they were questioning me about the valuation then I think I it was it it was valued at like 1.75 but I went in and said it was one because I didn't want to get kind of um too many questions about the valuation but you know it's it's grown sixfold since then so you know that if they did take it at that valuation they they would have um their shares would have been worth a lot more.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, what's happened since, because I know often when people go on these shows, especially when they get an offer, whether they take it or not, um, sometimes even if they don't get an offer, if it's great publicity, um, you know, for for the, the products and often people's sales certainly have an initial spike if not the longer term. Now, I know since, um, since we last spoke, your sales, I believe, have grown by over 200% with a year-on-year growth rate of 98%. Um, um, which is uh, amazing so tell us a bit about yeah some of the things that have happened since have you were you approached by other investors have you since taken on any an investment Just just give us a little bit of a picture of what's happened between your appearance and now
1: yeah a lot's happened actually so um, the sales after being on the show um, kind of skyrocketed. I mean, we had a 30% increase in our retail sales, but w- where I mentioned that we don't really concentrate online, we had like 500 orders over two weeks. It was, it was insane because I, I'd, I'd met somebody else that went on and they said, oh no, you know, it didn't really affect our online sales too much, but, but as it did, so it was crazy in the office for a couple of weeks after. Um, so that was good, good just for consumers to try the product and kind of get it out there. And, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we, we did need investment. So we managed to do an investment round with family and friends. Um, so we, we had just kind of launched into Waitrose. So we needed funds in order to, um, kind of fund the initial order. So we, we, that's why we raised privately with family and friends, which was a much better option than taking any money from the dragons. Um, and we got the valuation that we wanted. So it worked out well for us.
0: Fabulous. And,
1: um, you know, and then after we, you know, we had the drinks um, and, you know, we, we got into a few retailers with Sainsbury's and, and Waitrose. Um, and then we started doing some end, the new product development um, with the Buttercups. And since we've had the Buttercups, it's, it's really kind of just transformed the business. We had phenomenal launch um i think we had a rate of sale of twelve thousand in one week um with one retailer um that's amazing yeah it, it 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 they they came to us and they said it disrupted their kind of chocolate category and they were really happy about that so we we had kind of a phenomenal launch and you know, since then we have kind of grown very organically with this, um, Buttercup range, which is a vegan chocolate. Um, you could say it's kind of a, uh, a chocolate hybrid kind of snack almost cause it's not a plain chocolate because we use nut busses. Um, and, um, you know, since then we, we have got a strategy in place, you know, we have, um, decided to discontinue doing the bars, which was our oh, okay. product. Yeah, I know that we started with. But I think it's really important to know in the business if something isn't working, not to be afraid, to step away from it and to concentrate on things that are working for you or to find things that will work for you. Um and you know it's it's like I said earlier that the the market for kind of snack bars is flooded so rather than trying to push a commoditized product let's concentrate on something that you know we've created and something that's a little bit more unique offering
0: I love to that. Yeah. um
1: so that's such good
0: advice. That is really, really good advice. I know sometimes business owners can get a bit attached to their products, particularly if it's like maybe the first one they've got. It's almost like their baby, you know, becomes their, their product baby and they're, they're frightened to let let go of it. So I think that's really good advice. So it sounds like going on Dragon's Den, there's been a lot of upsides to it. Were, were there any downsides, do you think, of going on a show like this? Because I'm curious whether you have any tips for, for people who's considering it, weighing up, should I go on it, shouldn't I go on it? So what tips do you have and, and are there any pitfalls?
1: There were no downsides. No, no. downsides at all. Um, I, if any were, if anybody were to ask me, I'd say definitely do it. Definitely go on. Um, I mean, for us, I guess there were no downsides because we did get an offer and we did reject it um, because it wasn't right for us. So you know that that did create a little bit of a publicity kind of. Um, stir kind of after that so we were kind of approached by um you know national newspapers you know why did you reject that so in turn for that that was good publicity for us too yeah um and it was for us it was a positive experience and um yeah i i i would i would do it again
0: you would yeah i mean it puts you in a strong position isn't it to get uh, doesn't it to get an offer and then to say no, actually Thank you very much. I'm not going to take it. I mean, it, it is. It's like, it's quite kind of, t- it's media gold, really. So I'm, I'm not surprised you got the, the media interest. It was, that's fantastic. Um, so... One of the, oh, that's what I was going to ask you. You managed, you, well, I was going to, one of my questions was you managed to build a business while having a young child. Now, since we done, started on this interview, I've now found out you've had a second child. So I'm just curious because I think there's, for people out there who are mothers or parents, you know, whoever, and, and want to be entrepreneurs, any little tips that you can offer? I know you've mentioned that you've kind of gone without sleep and what have you. So I'm not sure if necessarily there is, but any kind of tips and advice for, for, for mothers who, who want to, yeah, be entrepreneurs, want to run their own business?
1: yeah I think when when you make that choice I mean it's a funny one for me because when I started the business I didn't have children and I initially started it was a lifestyle business so you know I'd I'd work I'd work weekends you know if I wanted to um and balance out my time in the week but since then our strategy has changed and we are growing and scaling the business so we work quite long hours in the week and we do work some weekends as well so and since then i've had to kind of embrace having children because as the business has evolved my family's evolved and there is no balance and i have to be honest it's a struggle um you know when i had my daughter initially it was kind of the sleep deprivation and then you know coming in and, and trying to concentrate on you know important things um And, you know, I, she went to nursery when she was like four months old, which I would have had much preferred to have longer time with her. But it was, again, a sacrifice that I had to make. So essentially, there's no balance. I bring the kids into work when I have to um, and I've got nobody to look after them. And. You know, for example, uh, Rui, my son, he's now eight months old. And I I mentioned to you that I'm officially back at work because he starts nursery now. But for the last eight months, I've been coming into the office with him. So um, working in his kind of nap times and, um, you know, some of the team helping me look after him if I've got an important call. Um, but I've been banned from bringing him in, apparently, because uh, no, nobody else gets their work done.
0: Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. I appreciate, again, I really appreciate you being being honest. This is such, you know, good information for people to hear because, again, you know, when someone looks like they're successful, people just tend to think, oh, well, they're just breezing through it or or they're super wealthy and they're able to just hire private nannies and private chefs and all the rest of it. So I appreciate you, you know, mentioning that it, it is a, a sacrifice yeah. in, in right. many ways because you're building that that bigger picture particularly in the beginning like you say when you're going from the lifestyle to scaling you know and until you kind of get to that massive scaling it 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 can be um, a struggle and people have to decide on their priorities
1: it is and he I mean he did not officially start nursery until Monday but the last few weeks have been so, so busy for us that I've had to get my mother-in-law to try and help me um, and a couple of friends to help me. So I've been busy kind of picking and dropping, going to work, going back to work, going back to feed because I'm still breastfeeding him as well. I haven't slept for like four years um, cause I'm still waking up in the night to feed him to, Um And, you know, just this morning I was dropping off my daughter to school and I was late and they were just about to lock the gate and I, I felt anxious and I feel like I'm always kind of behind and, and late with things just because I'm trying to fit in everything else. But I think that's it. You just have to accept it. And uh, even this morning I was, I was saying to myself, just don't feel anxious. Just, just accept that this is how life is because you're taking on so many other things. Um, So, so that's it. Just embrace it and don't fight it. And, you know, if, if you want to do something like this, there is no balance. Um, Just kind of, mix the two together. You know, I've, my four-year-old now, she we talk to her about what we do and, and why we do it. And she's always saying, oh, you know, how many buttercups have you sold? Or, you know, I, are you going to get this investment, um, you know, from that, that company? Because we're raising money at the moment. So, she's kind of fully involved in that and you know oh she I love it like,
0: get some nice um cheap labor there as well like training her up
1: <laughs> she's saying oh, you know when, I, when I'm older I want to come and I want to make chocolate buttercups so it's really refreshing that you know even though there's no balance you know a positive thing is that I'm setting a good example for her and yes know, that's Yes.
0: And she's understanding it as well. It's like she's understanding you're, you're building something for them and, mum, you know, mummy's work is important. You know, mummy and daddy's work is important. Um, and she, you, and they're still loved. I think that's really nice the way you, you've done that, that you're involving them in this so they understand yeah. it. And it's a it's exciting for them, I guess. And I can yeah. imagine, you know, someone making chocolate buttercups for a living. I mean, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, so, no, I appreciate you saying that. And you're right. It's like the, like the whole thing about the so-called work-life balance. Uh, you're right. It's about, you know, where you you put the priorities and and love I love what you said about embracing that I think that's a real gem that I'll just repeat because it was so good is I think a lot of times we get stressed and overwhelmed because we're doing the opposite of embracing. We're kind of taking all these things on and then we're allowing ourselves to get into a state of panic, which then doesn't make us, um, you know, be able to cope with more. But when you just kind of lean into it almost and go, okay, this is how it is and let's just enjoy it and, and, yeah. and kind of, yeah, go with the flow. So well, I really love that. So you've been ever so generous with your time. It's been wonderful your insights. It's been lovely. Um, so just to wrap up, Remy, tell us what the future holds. What's your vision for the future of Love Raw and yourself?
1: Ah, oh, gosh, very exciting, <laughs> very exciting. I mean, I... I as much uh,
0: as you can reveal, I know you mentioned to me by email, you've got a couple of things potentially you might not be able to say just yet, but we can always um, do a follow-up, like in the news. Um, I have like a news highlights that I do, so we can always include those later. So as much as you yeah. can share at the moment, give us a little bit of an idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, so so as I mentioned, that we have um, kind of discontinued um, a few of the other um, categories like the bars and the drinks and the powders, but you know we are very much concentrating on our vegan chocolate category. Um, it, it's the strongest for us, so um, we're working on a brand new category of vegan chocolates, um, hopefully which should be um, coming out um, in early next year, I would say. Um, so I'm working on um, new product developments. At the moment, we are um, also scaling up more as a business. I mentioned that we are raising uh, money um, and investment, so we 're literally on the cusp of completing all of that, so hopefully I you know will be able to, in a week 's time kind of divulge more information. Um, and our partners and who we're working with but we're working with somebody that's very exciting and that can support us as a business and and, you know they're completely the right investment partners that we want to be working with Um, and also we have um, a new non-exec director that has joined us who is has just been a breath of fresh air and I can actually disclose who that is it's um, a lady called Juliet. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of a brand called Grenade have you heard of Grenade? I don't think so. No. Um, they are a um, protein bar here in the UK. Oh, okay. Um, and they have done like amazingly well. Um, they're 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 a couple, and and they started with just twenty seven pounds in their bank account. Oh, so even less than your six hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, you know they've they've taken it to kind of a multi million pound business. Um so and you know they've they've done kind of incredibly well they're they're with um a, a lot of the kind of retailers um here in the UK so um you know we we met Juliet um just kind of serendipitously um by chance and you know she's amazing we we she gets us and we really enjoy working with her she's she's really down to earth and She's um, kind of the visionary behind their marketing strategy, which is why their branding was so successful. Um, so we've got her helping us um, with our marketing and our branding. Uh, so so that's very exciting having having her on board. Wow. And, um, so yeah. So 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 you know, in essence, we you know with the with having Juliet and the the new category coming out in February. Um, and the investment I think the next 12 months will be really exciting very pivotal for us in terms of growth but um, but yeah it's 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 a journey and I think that's also what I've taken away it's sometimes you can focus on strategy but don't forget the journey and to enjoy it and to enjoy your small wins and your big wins and 'Cause we didn't before, we didn't used to do that. It just used to be, yeah, we've got on board with a certain retailer, yeah, great. But now we stop and as as hippie as it sounds and we, we take that and we be present and we, we just celebrate.
0: I think that's wonderful hippie or otherwise I think mean, it's uh, yeah. nothing wrong with hippies anyways any hippies listening nothing wrong with hippies yeah. uh, but no I think that's wonderful yeah that's right you can because otherwise you, you're kind of constantly striving for something and you're never satisfied so it's kind of like oh okay you've done it it's like yeah just stop and enjoy that and celebrate and go yeah because that can be really energizing rather than just um otherwise just kind of going oh we've done that now it almost becomes it, nothing's ever enough otherwise is it it's almost like oh well, we've done that but we yeah, but now we've got to do this oh we've got that oh but now we've got this and this and you're constantly but you're not enjoying along the way and it's kind of like what's the point I mean obviously I know the point is the higher purpose you know we want the vegan products everywhere etc but you know, it needs to be sustainable f- for you, especially, like you're saying, if you're working long hours uh, and what have you, if you're enjoying it and taking those wins, then that, I think that can help to sustain you through. Um, so, look, I'm very excited um, about where you're going. It's great to catch up with you in just, you know, shortish space of time, um, you know, already seeing massive growth. So I'm very excited about your future. I shall keep an eye on what you're doing. And next time I'm in the UK, I shall um, try your new products when they're out next year. So, excited.
1: To send you some, I want to see whether we can get it over the line. And you did what well, you
0: did with the bars. I'm sure I haven't had buttercups. I would have remembered <laughs> all I had. I, you sent me a little nice little package, and it had three different types of bars, and it had a couple of drinks in it um and and that got here okay um
1: okay. i'm gonna send you some buttercups okay
0: i'm excited about the name talking about them i'm like Ooh. <laughs> look it's been fantastic speaking with you rimi i'm so excited for your growth and i really appreciate your honesty and your insights it's been a fantastic interview i'm so glad we did this thank you very much for joining no, me thank you.
1: thanks for having me
0: so that was rimi darbia from love raw you can find out more at eat love raw Com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 134. Now for some vegan business news highlights. San Francisco-based boutique restaurant and hospitality firm AF & Co has named plant-based cuisine as the food trend of the year in its annual hospitality trends report. Now in its 12th edition, the 2020 report called We're Not in Kansas Anymore reflects the acknowledgement that the hospitality industry has undergone major fundamental shifts and now new rules apply. The greatest challenge, it says, facing the industry is that the tried and true isn't gaining traction in the same way and operators must find new ways to reach and engage with guests in a constantly changing world. According to AF&Co, vegan cuisine has entered the mainstream. The report says it's no longer an obscure subset of vegetarian, this is vegan cuisine without the drab austerity of yesteryear. And that with vegan cuisine in the spotlight, chefs are devoting more attention to vegetable preparation, meaning plant-based options are more plentiful and delicious than ever before. Amen to that. (laughs) I'm loving how the plant-based trend is continuing to grow year on year, particularly in the food sector. And this is another promising development in the restaurant and hospitality space. V2 Food, Australia's newest plant-based meat company, has announced the purchase of a 55,470 square metre site in Wodonga on the border of New South Wales and Victoria. The startup which involved a collaboration between government departments CSIRO and Hungry Jack's the Australian franchisee of Burger King recently secured $35 million in funding from some of the world's leading investors representing what it claims is the largest ever series A funding round for a plant-based meat company even beating out the US giants Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat. More than $20 million will be invested in refitting the Wodonga site to be a world-class food-grade facility, including the installation of new equipment using the expertise of local contractors. The factory is expected to begin operations in mid-2020, with plans to employ 40 to 50 local workers. Once up and running, the factory will enable V2 Food to scale up at speed to produce plant-based meat for supermarkets and restaurants across the country. Former PepsiCo Senior Director and University Lecturer Nick Hazel, the CEO of V2 Food, said, Our planet is at a tipping point and we're heading for environmental disaster if we continue to produce all of our meat from animals. Australia's farming industry is the best in the world, and we see a huge opportunity to grow this new plant-based industry, leveraging the best that regional Australia has to offer. I'm so happy about this. Uh, It's great to see businesses taking the lead in transitioning economies to plant-based ones. I went to the launch of V2 earlier this year, and it was good to see a lot of interest from media, industry and government fantastic. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.